0: All right, yeah, welcome to RUF, guys. Uh, fact is, some of you, I love that song, that last one. The fact is, some of you here may feel like God has let you down. Um, I think all of us feel that way at some point. And I'm glad you're here, if that's you, especially if that's you. Um, I'm glad you're here, especially if it's your first night. Because really, RUF is a place where you're invited to come when you feel like God has let you down. A place where... Oh, thanks. Thanks, Dylan. Everybody give it up for Dylan. Soundboard. Where would we be without the soundboard? Thanks, man. Um, yeah, this is a place where we want you to honestly wrestle with God as He reveals Himself in Scripture. Not, as, not wrestling with God as we imagine Him to be sometimes. Not wrestling with the God that somebody told you about, you know, from their good ideas not wrestling just with your experience but with god as he reveals himself in scripture because we think there's something here there's something here that you can't get anywhere else this might be different i don't know what you're used to when a preacher stands up and talks we're going to try to dig into god's word and see jesus together so i'm excited about this and um yeah my name is willis weatherford i'm the campus minister with ruf reformed university fellowship if it's your first time uh there's a lot of things to say about what that is it's This is a large group, is what we call it. We have small groups to meet throughout the week. We have people meeting one on one throughout the week. That's all RUF, and all of it is about helping you wrestle with Jesus as he reveals himself in his word. So I hope that you find that. I hope you find welcome. I hope you find the welcome of Jesus and a chance to see him in his word. So for me, the one thing I want you to know about me is that I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me, and he loves you, and that changes everything. And tonight we're going to see how it changes the way we think about love and how it changes the way we love. So let's talk about love. I met the girl who is now my wife, Mary. Then Mary Diker, Now Mary Weatherford. Yes! Put a ring on it. Yes! Uh, I met her when I was 12. 12 years old. Pretty young. A little middle schooler. And I saw her walking through the door into the room that I was sitting in. And I was like, holy smokes, who's this? How have I not seen this girl before? And she had moved to my town, and I saw her, and instantly kind of fell into, uh, into like with her, into love with her. I don't know. Like, I was definitely all in. And so I was so terrified that I spent the next six years not talking to her. <laughs> like, at all. But I still watched her. It was kind of creepy. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but, like, I was definitely all about Mary. And the thing that I realized, when you, when you meet someone that young, Like, she arrived right when the concept of love arrived in my brain. And so, like, I learned what love was experientially in this relationship with my wife. So, love for me, right at the outset, you know, love in terms of, like, romantic love, was not a concept. It was a person. It was Mary. It wasn't a concept. It was a relationship. And what we see when we meet Jesus is that he is love. And he may redefine our concept of what love is in a way that invites us to love others, friendships, family relationships, romance, whatever, in a different way. And it's a beautiful way. So we're going to look at that tonight. Experiencing the love of Jesus calls us into love for others. And we're going to look at that love with our passage here. Romans twelve, nine through 21 Last week we looked at kind of how the love of Jesus changes our relationship with God, the Father. What that looks like. And now we see how it changes our relationship horizontally to other people. Romans 12, 9-21. Let's read it. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, we see in our passage how to love others with a love that is genuine, not fake. Generous, not selfish. And generated by the love of God for us. So, you can see my three points. Love is genuine, love is generous, and love is generated. Love is genuine, love is generous, love is generated. Let's pray. Father God, as we turn to your word, We hope to hear something from you. We hope that you, as the Holy Spirit, would show up and change us. That you would help us to feel your love and that you would help us to love others in some similar way. So we ask that you do this in our lives out of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, point one. Love is genuine. So verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. It's pretty easy to pretend to love people, right? pretty easy to pretend. We love people with fake love all the time. You can give effortless likes or hearts or whatever else it is on social media. We can make compliments that we don't mean. We can give people our time even if you don't love them really, just to keep them happy. It's not always genuine. I had this uh, sleeping bag uh, at one point in my life. And I was living in a different country. And some of you may know that in developing countries, often there's this whole industry of fakes, (laughs) like fake brand name stuff that's not really the thing. But it has the little stitched logo on there. And this was a fake North Face sleeping bag. And I saw the logo and I thought, sweet, North Face. going to keep me warm. So I bought it. And very quickly it began, the the feathers began kind of, Every time I'd lie down it and zip it up, it'd be like, poof, feathers just like <laughs> flying out. And it got less and less warm, and very soon it wasn't keeping me warm. It's fake. It was easy to buy because it was so cheap and attractive. And it looked legit, but in the end it left me cold. And Romans is simply saying, love, fake love. It may be enough to make you look like a new, a, a new person, a good person, a loving person. It might actually fake people into believing that. It's cheap and easy. It's enough to prop up relationships that matter to you. That's why we do it. But Jesus empowers and invites us into genuine love. So, a few years later in my life, like three years ago, I finally saved up the money and decided I was going to spend big on a genuine, like good sleeping bag, like a really good one. And so I spent like 300 bucks on this thing. It's a Marmot. If any of you are like outdoor people, who knows about the brand Marmot? Okay, I see you. Wow, that's like almost everybody. Okay, good. I guess it's a common brand. Not that impressive. But uh, so, and it's like negative nine degree temperature rating, super, super warm. Enveloping myself in it just feels like the, the embrace of the gods. It's awesome. And it, the feathers never come out, they always stay in. High quality. It was costly, it is genuine. So what does genuine love look like? And how do we know what it is? It says, love one another with brotherly affection. This is love that goes beyond surface action and words. It's blood deep. It's loyal. You know, if you have a brother, you know, you might not always enjoy being with your brother, but there's something there, some level of love that is more committed and deeper than you can have with somebody who's not blood with you it says outdo one another in showing honor it's like if somebody shows you honor compliments you makes you look good in front of your friends you're like how can i how can i like outdo them in showing honor to them if they compliment you in front of your like to your face you're like okay i'm going to compliment them in front of their friends how can you outdo one another in showing honor do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Slothful, I think, is like the million dollar word of the night. So, slothful. That's not a word you want to see written on your paper. Like, you write this big essay, and your professor's like, Your citations were a bit slothful. Work harder next time. You're like, Oh. So, don't be slothful in zeal. This word for like enthusiasm. Not slothful, not lazy, not apathetic. Fervent in spirit instead. Enthusiastic, tenacious energetic, zealous as you serve the Lord and as you love others. So this is not like, okay, fine, I'll love you if I have to. It's like, I'm looking for chances to love other people. Notice how as Paul talks about loving others, he talks about serving the Lord. Loving people is serving the Lord. It's a core part of what it means to be a Christian. So if you want to do great things for God, you want to obey Him, you want to serve Him, this is saying, love people. Don't forget that Christ-like love isn't just going through the motions. It's genuine. What does that mean? It's not just about the emotion. Because we can feel like, well, you have to really feel it. It's not just about that because we can feel love, but then fail to live it out as we should. right? So it's not just about the emotion. At the same time, it's not just about the action. Because we can do the right actions, go through the motions, and yet our heart not be in the right place. So it's not just about the emotion or about the action Nothing to note, sometimes we do need to love, like sometimes true love is loving someone in action, even if you don't feel like it in the moment. So we can't say that it's both at the same time either. It's not like it's emotion plus action equals true love. Sometimes true love is loving someone in action, even when you don't have that like desire. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So illustration of this, Mary, my wife, is awesome in so many ways. And um, shows up this one week we had a few months ago where all of our kids got sick at the same time. And I'll just say that substances began appearing (laughs) throughout our house, lots of them. And it was disgusting. And, uh, you know, I come home from work one day and Mary's like, I've been cleaning up substances all day for our kids because she loves them. Did she wake up that morning and think, like, oh, I really want to clean up substances? No, she did not. <laughs> you know, she wanted to not have to do that, but she did it because there was a deeper level want that is empowered by this true, genuine love. So, my definition of genuine love I don't know if it's right or not, I think it's right. Love wants and pursues the good of the other and is willing to sacrifice to get it. Love wants and pursues the good of the other and is willing to sacrifice to get it so this is saying there's a want to muscle that's much deeper than the emotion we usually like associate with like what love is so this is kind of like the vagus nerve of the soul for you brain science people out there this like just fundamental brain stem nerve that controls so much about our lives it's what we talk about when we say the deepest desire of our heart a desire that rides lower and beneath and endures even as the service emotions change. Love desires in that way and pursues the good of the other and is willing to sacrifice to get it, even when it's annoying, inconvenient, painful, even when you don't like that person in that moment. So if you're loving someone like that, wanting and pursuing their good, even when it hurts you, that's the genuine love this passage describes. And listen, I just want to encourage you all with a second. I see and I hear how you're doing this. Like, there are people in this crowd that are really doing this to coworkers, to roommates, uh, to people on your athletic teams, where you're doing stuff that's good for them, that is not really that comfortable or easy for you. So, like, this is what it's talking about. Good job. Keep it up. That's awesome. Love is genuine. Okay, second thing. Not just genuine, it's also generous. Love is generous. We see the next section describe five different kinds of generous love. Generous in five different ways. First, the generosity of provision and relationship. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So the needs of the saints means the needs of, you know, the other people around this church in Rome, early Christians, and we actually see the early church living out exactly this kind of love in Acts two. Right after Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit descends, it says, Acts two, "And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. It's like abundant, generous hospitality what might hospitality look like on this campus what might hospitality look like in your dorm room christ-like love also entails another kind of generosity the generosity of blessing your enemy so verse 14 and 17 i'll just kind of pair them together on this theme bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse them and then verse 17 repay no one for evil for evil so who's your enemy Get that person in your head right now. Who's your enemy? And that's like an intense word. So like, let's kind of back it off also to like people that you just don't like right now. Like, who, you kind of, who has offended you in some way? Who is that person? Some of us have online enemies that you may have never met in person, but they did something online that really hurt you or offended you. Some of you have enemies that you haven't seen in years, but there's still beef there. Some of you have ideological enemies that aren't even a single person, but just like that group of people. And what we feel towards them is a grudge. Pain, hurt, frustration, maybe fear. And God calls us to bless them. The root word of that uh, Greek word means happiness. We want them to be happy. We bless them. We wish they're good. Bless and do not curse. Repay no one evil for evil. This is the generosity of not giving someone what they deserve. There's more. We see the generosity of active empathy. Active empathy. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I think this is what we long for. So like you have had a bad day or a great day. And you call your mom. And what you want to hear is her celebrate with you. Or be like, oh, babe, that's so, that's so hard, I'm so sorry. You know, weeping with you or rejoicing with you. What you don't really want to hear usually is like, well, honey, you just got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and like keep on going and I'll be praying for you. And like, we don't want that kind of Band-Aid thing. We just need someone to be with us where we're at in the moment. You know? And this is saying, do that. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Some folks think that being a Christian and being like really spiritual and godly and stuff means wherever somebody's at, extreme emotion over here in sadness, extreme emotion over here in joy, is to kind of like settle things down a little bit and bring it into the center and be like, okay, don't get too happy because you know you're still a sinner, you know? Or don't get too sad because, you know, God still loves you. Bring it back to the center. And this is saying, actually, no. That's not love. That's not loving to the people. They can be over there or over there and you can actually go over there with them. God's okay with that. Okay. The generosity of humility. Next kind of generosity that we see. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Haughty means like, I'm going to kind of like, the, the image I get in my head is just doing this. Like kind of looking down your nose at people, like I'm not going to associate with you. I'm a little bit better than you. Don't do that. <clears throat> Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I wonder who the lowly is in your mind on this campus. Who's that person who's lowlier than others? It says associate with them. Never be wise in your own sight. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I appreciate the realism. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And sometimes other people make that impossible. Okay. There are times when we must lean into conflict in the name of justice, truth, defense of the defenseless. But the generosity of humility calls us to pursue as our base setting, out of the box, peaceful harmony with others. So here's my question. What causes the most disagreement and hurt and discord and the opposite of peace on this campus? What do you guys think? I think it might be gossip. And the reason I think that is because it's such a small campus. Everybody kind of knows everybody. And so like gossip, if you gossip about one person, like everybody knows that person. And so it like almost hurts worse. And so I think we need to apply this to gossip. You know, you hear stuff, it's fun to spread it around. It's fun to like move it along the chain. But generous love looks like loving the person when you're not even with them who's being gossiped about by refraining from gossip about them. And you're like, well, what's gossip? It's like, it's impossible to make like a rule of what's gossip and what's not gossip. But if you feel convicted right now, that was gossip. Okay, so like in wisdom, walk towards like, Jesus, help me not be a gossip about other people. That's love. But what about when someone gossips about you? That's happened to some of you guys. What do you do with that? What does generous love look like in that situation? The generosity of forgiveness, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never. Never? Never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I feel like the thing that sticks out there for us is the burning coals. What's going on with the burning coals? It feels kind of mean. It's like, I thought we were supposed to be kind to our enemies, but now it's saying like, be really nice so that you can get them. Just like really get them. Keep burning coals in their head. What's going on there? Uh, the momentum of this section is kindness, love, generosity. It's urging us against a heart of vengeance, feeding them, giving them water. Most theologians who study this passage agree that when it talks about burning coals in the head, there's some things like there may have been some kind of Egyptian ceremony that's kind of like being referenced or tagged involving burning coals in the head, which sounds awful. But most theologians agree like what's happening here is if you put burning coals on somebody's head, what are they gonna do? They're gonna do that first and then they'll probably punch you or something. But first they're gonna like, they're gonna be motivated to action to solve the problem, to change. They're not just gonna sit there with fire on their head. And that's the point, not hurting your enemy, but helping them towards an action that they need to take that's going to be good for them. Changing their ways, making things right. Maybe that's an apology. Maybe that's not doing the thing that they did again. It's saying, if you generously love your enemy like this, even as they hurt you, it's going to encourage them to change their ways. So you may not feel like you have a legit enemy on campus, but I bet you are tempted to get back at people who've done something wrong to you in some way whether that's kind of talking bad about them to your friends or their friends, or when you pass them on campus, just kind of giving them the cold shoulder, the straight ahead stare, and let them know that you're still mad at them. Maybe it's just in your head. You are given over to angry thoughts towards them and there's no forgiveness and it's kind of burdening you, honestly, this anger that you have towards this person. Generous love looks like submitting these things to God and asking Him to give you love for the enemy which is kind of hard to even want to have love for that person. And treating that person like a friend even as you struggle to forgive them. Even before the love arrives, trying to treat them as a friend. The generosity of genuine love is challenging because it costs us something. Generosity costs you. That's what generosity is. So, this is a helpful diagnostic for you. If you're in a relationship right now and you're like, does this person actually love me? Do they actually really love me? If it seems like all that's happening in the relationship is they're getting something from you, and they're not really interested in giving anything to you, that's not generous love. That's not genuine. That's something off there. Maybe the relationship needs to grow. I'm not saying it never can be fixed or anything. I'm just saying like right now, that feels off according to the Bible. Another helpful diagnostic... As you think like, okay, what's happening in my faith? Am I growing? Am I a Christian? Am I, like, what would it look like for me to grow in maturity? What metric do you use? Is it about how I feel when I sing worship songs? Is it about how much of the Bible that I know? Is it about landing in a specific theological camp or denomination? Is it about figuring out the questions that I have and all the doubts going away? This is saying, actually, the first metric, the the main metric, is love. Am I loving people generously, genuinely? If that is growing in your life that is the maturity of Christ. It's happening. and if not, praise God, He's the one that does this in us. This is not like okay, I got to try really really hard. We're going to look like this and at, at the next thing in a second because if you're like me, you look at your life and you're like, okay, maybe I see growth but there's a long way to go. There's a lot of love that's not genuine. there's a lot of lovelessness in my life, a lot of failure to be generous towards other people, how can we grow? How does this happen? How does this love come about? Final point, shortest point, love is generated. It's generated. It's produced. Notice something in verse 11. It says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. These actions that it's calling us to are all about connection to God. They're all about abiding in Christ focusing and setting your mind on the gospel it's because loving this way is really hard we're not able to do it on our own we need help and this help comes from Jesus so let's think about Jesus how does he show generous and genuine love the love of Jesus cost him everything it cost him his life and it was therefore the most generous love imaginable There was no other way for him to save sinners from death and obtain our eternal life than for him to pay for our blood guilt with his blood. And he did it. The most generous love imaginable. And the love of Jesus was perfectly true to the the kingdom of God that he came to reveal. True to that. It was perfectly true to his perfectly divine nature. He never toned it down to become more palatable. palatable, (laughs) To become easier to accept for people. So his love was the most genuine love imaginable but the life of jesus wasn't just a good example it's not like wow he's so genuine he's so generous i just i guess i guess gotta try to be like him and he's my example that's not the gospel we've got lots of great examples out there people that are better than us just having examples is kind of crushing actually jesus isn't just a good example if that was the case it'd be like expecting you to go watch monday night football and see patrick mahomes throw for like 500 yards And that, then expecting you to be able to go and throw the football like him on the next day. That's crazy. That doesn't happen. Not just looking at someone doesn't make you able to do that thing. The love of Jesus is a greenhouse. A greenhouse to live in, to abide in, to stick your brain in. Where our hearts are bathed in his love for us. His generous and genuine love for you. In the midst of all the stuff and the drama that's going on in your life right now. And as we dwell in that, as we bathe in that, which is not about doing things for Jesus, it's about enjoying and experiencing and believing and remembering what he's already done for you. That is what generates this kind of love. So how can you live in the greenhouse? The whole passage is kind of like application. It's just instruction after instruction. There's 31 of them, I counted. A lot of things to do. But if you're like when you're like, those things are hard, how do I do that? How do I how do I abide in the greenhouse? Verse 12 gives us three ways. First one, rejoice in hope. So, what promise of God's word is most hopeful for you? What what is the promise of the gospel in the Bible that is kind of tuned to the frequency of your heart that when you hear that, you're like, that's hopeful. I need that. I know a guy who for him it was uh, this passage from 2 Corinthians 5:17. In Christ, um, If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He made that into a, like a, a personal statement. And every morning and every night, he says this to himself. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So find the most hopeful verse in the Bible for you and celebrate that out loud every day. Stick it in the greenhouse. Second thing, be patient in tribulation. I think the heart of what this means is endurance. Just endurance through hard times. So sometimes we want to set the bar really high. I've talked to you guys. I know about this. You're in a hard season and you're like, okay, how do I do? What are the special things to where this can be like my launching pad of my life? And sometimes that happens. And that's awesome. God does grow us through suffering. But being patient in tribulation is like, let's just bring it down to like survival. If you can survive the hardest semester of your life, you won. Like that's good. And that's enough. To be patient in tribulation and just make it through with your faith like (laughs) semi-intact. That's enough. So you can rest in the greenhouse. Last thing, be constant in prayer. God assumes that prayer is vital to every single one of the 31 things to do in this passage, the 31 ways to love. You're not supposed to be able to do this on your own. It's supposed to take constant prayer. It says be constant in prayer. That becoming reality means depending on God throughout the day. And one of the ways that we do this is conversation with Him. So thanking Him for every gift. Throwing every anxiety upon Him. Requesting help in every opportunity. When you walk, while you drive, going to a meeting after an argument. In the moment where you desperately want to gossip about somebody. Pray. Ask God for help. This is the communion with the God who loves you perfectly and truly and genuinely and generously. So as we dwell in the love of Christ for us, as we dwell in that greenhouse, and as we grow in loving others genuinely, generously, God expands His kingdom in our hearts and across this campus. That's what it looks like. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the the beautiful truth that the realities of the Gospel that have been proclaimed to us in the first 11 chapters of Romans lead us necessarily to an outworking, a response of what you've done for us. And it's love for others. And we want to live in a world where we are loved. We want to live in a world where people get loved like this. Jesus, we desperately need your help. If it's just us trying our best, it's not going to happen. But Jesus, we pray that you would come and invade our hearts, invade our lives. Help us to love others like this, this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we worship him.